Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ned Bellavance, Ned1313 on Twitter, and welcome to the Daily Check-In for November 11th, 2021. It is 11-11. I like that. That that makes me happy. Maybe I'll stay up till 11-11 p.m. just to see all those 11s lined up. I did. I, it happened in 2011, and I feel like I kind of missed it a little bit, so I'm excited to... I mean, it's 2021, not 11, but you know, whatever. You, you, you deal with the, the hand you're dealt, I suppose. Anyway, let's check in. How you doing? How's your week going? Doing anything cool with technology this week? I've been working on a bunch of different things and learning a lot of stuff about Azure Kubernetes service and some corner cases when it comes to using Terraform. It's been a lot of fun. So hopefully you're doing something cool with technology. Hey, speaking of cool and technology... Last week, I was at Cloud Field Day, and this is another report from my time there as a delegate. And this time, I'm going to be talking about the presenter on that. And uh, they were formerly Storage OS. So if you're not familiar with the name, maybe Storage OS will ring a bell. And that probably begs the first question, which is, why did they change the name? But before I get into that real quick, if you haven't been listening to the other Cloud Field Day episodes, I definitely invite you to do so. So far, I've covered a few other vendors as well as my general thoughts on the event. So check that out. And if you don't know what Cloud Field Day is, go to techfieldday.com and look it up there and then maybe come back here to, well, you don't have to. You can just listen to what the what the deal is with on that. Okay. So, like I said, they were formerly Storage OS. They changed their name. Now, I'm sure there's a bunch of different reasons why. They changed it because they feel like they are making strategic, strategic changes in their direction as a company. And they wanted the name to reflect that. I think part of it might be because Storage OS doesn't necessarily lend itself to easy Googling because you could just be talking about any store operating system that uses storage, right? So they wanted a more uniquely identifying name. They went with on dat. I'm not sure where that came from. I'm sure something had having to do with data since that's what they deal with. But so that covers the name change. And, and ultimately it's not that important. It's, it's a name, what's in a name, right? So what is on dat? What do they do? Well, they describe themselves as cube native storage, which I thought was a very interesting approach to their branding because they don't say that they're cloud native storage. They say they're cube native. So they're really hanging their hat on that whole Kubernetes thing. They're not cloud native, which is, I guess, more of a general term. They're not software defined, although they are. They're cube native. So the first thing they want you to know is that they are designed and developed to run on Kubernetes clusters. That's what they're for. The thing that they talked about in their presentation was the idea of being able to run stateful apps anywhere at scale on Kubernetes. So if you have an application today that is running on a virtual machine or a physical machine, and you're thinking about shifting that over to Kubernetes and it's stateful, you can do it with their solution. I mean, there's other solutions out there, but OnDAT is one of the ones that you can use. The trend that they talked about was data and storage are shifting left. What does that mean? Why, why would they say that data and storage are shifting left? What they're trying to say is that the consumption of data and storage is happening earlier on in the software development lifecycle. 
a developer, rather than putting in a ticket, requesting storage, waiting for a LUN to be provisioned, and then for someone to mount that LUN in an operating system and then provide them with a mount point to use the storage. Now it's in a Kubernetes manifest where you say, I need a persistent volume of this size and this performance. And it's up to the system to figure out how to do that. But the process of allocating store or the process of requesting storage has become software defined and it's happening earlier on in the development process. That's kind of where they're bringing the storage closer to the developer. And, and this is happening across the board in a large part, thanks to cloud and self-service. The other things that they were talking about is that developers are by and large using containers, true. And that Kubernetes is the de facto container orchestrator, true. So they want to be application centric storage. So their storage needs to be centered on the application that's requesting it and not just a general pool of storage for use by anyone. Okay, so that was their initial pitch. I did ask them what their key differentiators are. What, what do they think sets them apart from the other solutions out there? Because there are a bunch of storage solutions that are available on Kubernetes. Uh, one you, you might be aware of is Portworks. That's that's a fairly popular implementation. Red Hat has their Open Data Foundation. I think that's what it's called. It used to be called something else, but it's basically their container storage, which uses Ceph under the covers and some other technologies to provision persistent volumes dynamically. It's generally used with OpenShift, but I don't think you have to use it with OpenShift. And I mean, that's two examples. There's a bunch of other ones out there, including some open source options. So the question becomes, what is different about their offering on Dad's offering? They talked about how they're agnostic. And what I think what they meant by agnostic is they're not tied to a larger storage ecosystem. They don't really have a horse in the race when it comes to the physical storage that's on the back end of your Kubernetes cluster. If you're running in AWS, Azure, sure. If you're running on-prem hooked up to a NetApp device or a peer storage device or an EMC device, they don't care. that that To them, they are agnostic about what type of storage is being presented on the back end. Could you technically run this thing from a bunch of thumb drives that you've plugged into a rat? Well, not a Raspberry Pi, into like an Intel Nook? Sure, of course you could. Should you? Probably not but they provide the ability to do that because they're agnostic in that regard. They claim to have the highest performance. I didn't see any benchmarks presented at the presentation. That doesn't mean they don't have them. I just didn't see them. They talk about being cube native, which means all of their enhancements and their development is towards embracing the standards that are set out by the Kubernetes uh, storage SIG. And in fact, I believe that the... CEO is the co-chair for storage on the CNCF. So he's definitely heavily invested in following those standards along. <clears throat> the other big thing that they announced was that they are launching a SaaS service. Now, what does this SaaS service do? Why would you need a SaaS service for a storage cluster you've deployed on your Kubernetes environment on the nodes there? The SaaS service is meant to talk to all the different clusters you might have on that running. And initially they're just doing monitoring so they can collect performance metrics and other events and alerts from all the different 
instances where you have on dat running and roll them up to this SaaS service, which can give you sort of a dashboard view of what's going on with your storage. In later iterations, their plan is to add configuration and control to that SaaS service. So you will be able to maybe provision on that storage on an AKS cluster dynamically. You might be able to do things like add disks and expand the storage. So they're definitely, they're starting with just the monitoring piece to dip their toe in the SaaS waters. And then their plan is to expand out from there to help you manage all of your storage for Kubernetes from one unified system. So I thought that was interesting and definitely a good idea. I do have some hesitancy because we talked through some of the things that they don't support today and that they really should be supporting. One of them was cross-cluster replication. They do replication within the cluster across nodes for fault tolerance and high availability, but today you can't have two different Kubernetes clusters running on that and do cross-cluster replication natively with their technology. That is something that many of the other solutions have today. So that is something that they're currently working on. We also talked about data tiering and the idea that you might want to present different types of disk and storage classes. And when I say storage classes, I'm talking about the actual performance characteristics of the underlying hardware. You might want to present different storage classes with different performance characteristics to the pods that you want that are requesting persistent volumes. And right now, as far as we could tell, their solution doesn't really support that. Any storage you add into the cluster gets added into the general pool of storage that's available to everyone. So it would be nice to have some level of tiering uh, or different performance classes within the storage that's available. It's something you can do, like I said, with other solutions. Like if you're on Azure Kubernetes service, you can create storage classes that use SSDs, like standard SSDs, you can create a storage class that uses their performance SSD, and you can even create a storage class that uses their ultra SSDs. So you have a lot of options there, and there's a cost that goes along with that, but you can do it all dynamically, and people can request different levels of performance based off of what their pod or their application requires. So like I said, there's, they definitely have a solid solution that is worth looking into, if you have some extended needs beyond just storage within your cluster, then I would look and see where their roadmap is and how soon those features are coming available. And if they don't have a feature that you need, like I said, there are other people in the marketplace. So definitely an interesting solution. It's the second time I've seen them present and I'm still impressed that the solution works well. My only concern is that they seem to be a little, maybe six months to a year behind some of the other solutions and they really got to do some catch up. I think the SaaS solution is a move in the right direction for how they can continue to grow and maybe pull in more revenue. Their pricing model is actually very reasonable. So that's another thing to consider, but I would like to see them knock some of these things off of the, not, not complete some of the items on their roadmap around these more advanced features in the, in a Kubernetes cluster. So that's my thoughts on, on that. I hope you enjoyed them. If you have questions, you can hit me up on Twitter. It's Ned 1313. Definitely always open to start a conversation. That's going to do it for me for today. As always, thank you so much for listening until next time. Stay healthy, stay safe out there. Bye for now.